Welcome to Trine Days of the Journey, conversations with publisher Chris Milligan. I am Bruce DeTorres. With us is Jack Roth, writer, producer, and partner at J3 Films, an award-winning production company that creates engaging documentaries that challenge conventional wisdom. Jack's background as a journalist has given him a muckraker's tenacity when it comes to seeking the truth in all things. His books include Ghost Soldiers of Gettysburg and Unknown Down, which both explore strange phenomena and unsolved mysteries. In his latest book, Killing Kennedy, Exposing the Plot, the Cover-Up, and the Consequences, he interviews researchers, scholars, eyewitnesses, and family members of those who were part of the tangled web of U.S. intelligence operations associated with the Cold War and the circumstances surrounding the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Jack and Chris, it's great to be with you both. Thank you, Jack, for coming on. You know, we really appreciate this. And you're kind of a trying day contributor because you, you, you know, you uh, interviewed a whole bunch of them for your book, Killing Kennedy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a very interesting journey. You know, a lot of people have been uh, quote unquote radicalized by, by many different things. And I basically was, uh, I guess, radicalized by my my daddy telling me some stuff I didn't understand many, many years ago. And, you know, one thing I, I did notice in your book was a lot of people in there were also talking about 9-11. You know, Bruce was going along with his life and then 9-11 came along. And after a while, he looked into it and said, gosh, there's, there's something hinky here. And it's basically, uh, you know, what I always felt about the Kennedy assassination being uh, in, in junior high school when it happened. How come 9-11 and JFK kind of hold these same kind of roles in, in American history? What, what's your thoughts about that? Well, I think, first of all, both are significant ev events in American history that kind of changed everything moving forward. Uh, I would say the Civil War, Pearl Harbor, Kennedy assassination, 9-11, the, they're right up there, top five. And uh, but what was interesting about that is it was the psychologist I spoke to that mentioned 9-11. And the reason I was interviewing them was because I wanted to get a feel for the psychology of societies and this society, American society in, in general, uh, as far as why they may or may not accept things at face value. Uh, what kind, what are we dealing with here? Why would someone, even though all the evidence points otherwise, why would they think Oswald is still a lone nut assassin? And, you know, they, they've done some work in the nine 11 truth community, uh, trying to find out exactly what happened there. And that, that's a whole other show. Obviously that's a whole other 80,000 books, but, um, but what's interesting is they, they brought up stuff like cognitive dissonance, uh, the idea of uh, obeying and believing authority, conformity, the spiral of silence. It's like there's all these really cool things that you realize play into why people, even though I think critical thinkers, as soon as Ruby shot Oswald, I knew there was something wrong, you know. But there's a lot of people that want to believe they don't want to believe that their government would be involved in such a thing uh, because there's that whole idea of government as father, as father figure. And government is supposed to protect us at all times and have our best interests in mind. 
at all times. So when you realize that's not the case and you, you have to, in American history, this happens again and again, it's, it's not the case. I think people have a hard time with that and it makes them cognitive dissonance makes them feeling that's being incredibly uncomfortable with something. It messes with your paradigm. So, and I think nine 11 did that too, because there were so many questions. And, and again, I didn't get, get into nine 11 uh, because that's not this book, you know, and in, in particular, but they do mention it as, you know, one of those events and one of those events where there's more questions than answers and there's deliberate, almost a deliberate type of cover-up of bad behavior on the part of governments and government agencies and specific people. But, you know, listen, and and I think that's the thing I learned from writing this book. And a lot of people hopefully will come to that conclusion is that you can't trust any government. You can't. So, uh, yeah, but it was interesting that 9-11 came up, especially with the psychologists. You know, that's one thing that because my daddy told me some stuff many, many years ago. So I've been hanging out in this conspiracy uh, theory land and all this type of stuff and just, you know, seeing all kinds of changes. Like you, you said, we have these days of infamy where that, you know, uh, history change, you know, uh, everything was different after after that day. Now, one thing now you were you were just recently at the uh, one of the conferences in Dallas. And, you know, one thing that uh, Bruce and I talk about that there's, you know, uh, there's been two conferences in Dallas almost uh, since uh, the thing happened. And you have what I call a controlled conference and and an uncontrolled conference. In the one conference, you can't say that Johnson had uh, prior knowledge. Uh, And then you have to say bad things about uh, some of our trying day authors. Is it a situation where you have people that just honestly uh, look at things at one way, uh, or do you have people that are actually trying to, um, you know, drive the conversation and, and you know and, and take control of the narrative, even of uh, of a of a uh, you know conspiracy and saying, well, it wasn't this guy that did it; it was these guys that did it over there. You talk to a bunch of people such as uh, Judith Baker and Ed Haslam. What what do you think of the story that they tell? Well, they're both incredible stories. And Ed did a deep dive in research and has spent many years of his life trying to figure his story out, which was that he knew as a child, Dr. Mary Sherman, it was a, a colleague of his father's who was a doctor, was very well respected. The, his family really loved her and, and, and he respected her. And then she's murdered. And it was a murder and it was, of course, an unsolved murder. So he started digging. And what's amazing is Ed's story ties directly in the Judith story. And with Judith, I, I read me and Lee and was blown away, just like I read Dr. Mary's Monkey and was blown away by that book. And I felt like there was it made sense. If you use objective thinking, some critical thinking, you could really you come to the conclusion that these people, what they found is certainly in Ed's case, what he found and Judith, what she lived uh, are true. And they tie together very neatly uh, for the most part. And it what I gathered from that is that New Orleans in the summer of 1963 was one heck of a place. I mean, there was some stuff going on there that people don't even, I mean, the fact that the, the, the idea of Ed's story with, 
a nuclear particle accelerator being used for cancer experiments and uh, the CIA having their people in Tulane University uh, at Alton Oshner, a very respected doctor, the head of the whole uh, thing there uh, was, you know, CIA asset. Uh, and they were working on how to weaponize cancer because they wanted to kill Castro. The fact that the CIA wanted to kill Castro is no secret. The cancer experiments, that is, is quite shocking because and then he he ties those experiments into the epidemic of soft tissue cancers we're seeing today and polio, the polio vaccine and everything else. And that I think that's what happens when you try to play God. And that's what the CIA was doing, which is, of course, they thought they were God. And so they did that. But and then Judith's story, of course, is incredible because very few people have come forward to talk about the real Lee Harvey Oswald, who he is as a human being, right? Not as a lone nut or a patsy, but as a human being. So it provides a lot more context into who Lee Harvey Oswald was. But when you put it all together, it makes sense. And it makes sense, the things that were happening there. And then, you know, him all of a sudden being, uh, you know, sent to Dallas and getting a job at the book depository, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, incredible. And those two books blew my mind. I mean, when I read those books, I was, I have to get these people, I have to interview them. Right. Right. Well, you know, it, it, it's been very interesting following the dynamics because Ed was, was very respected in the research community when he did his first books, uh, Mary fairy and the monkey virus and whatnot. And then once he once he brought Judy in, uh, there was all types of resistance saying, well, you know, uh, this lady's just a fantasist. She's just making it all up. And and they went through, you know, kept moving the goalposts. They say maybe she was involved in cancer, but she wasn't a smart person. And oh, well, OK, well, maybe she uh, did this, but she was never in New Orleans. OK, well, maybe she was in New Orleans, but she didn't know. Lee. And, and, and it's been very interesting. To, to watch this dynamic of, of people trashing her narrative and running away from it. And if, if, you, if you do a deep dive and a little wide dive on it, you find that there's all kinds of backup material uh, about the, the whole polio vaccine and whatnot. There's this great book called The Virus and the Vaccine that, that goes into it quite deep. A bunch of the resistance was about the whole medical tale and about how, you know, uh, the polio vaccine and, and all of this, it seemed because there's already so much mud around the Kennedy assassination. It, it really seemed that the uh, pushback we were getting was really much more about the medical. But then, you know, as it, as it went on, I mean, I'll have to admit, I, I've been very upset uh, for many years about how what I call the, the poobahs up at the top of the JFK have basically dismissed her tale and then so allowed, you know, for, for a good 10 years uh, where, where people could be mining uh, the research and, and the understanding that Judy brought to the table, uh, you know, instead of just dismissing her and, and putting her in, into a corner. You got to interview Victoria Sulzer. Isn't that just an amazing story? It is because Victoria is kind of like, just that person who happens to be in the right place at the, or the wrong place at the wrong time. But of course she knew Oswald in junior high school. So she had some really good anecdotes to tell about that. And she also happened to live 
in the apartment complex in New Orleans where Dr. Mary Sherman lived and where Oswald would come by and wanting to get rid of some kind of biohazard material. I mean, and and that's where also obviously where Dr. Mary Sherman lived and where they found her body in her apartment. So, and then she lived next to this Cuban guy, this mysterious Cuban guy who Oswald was in connection with and was trying to give these packages to. Uh, And it ties everything together. Victoria's story ties Ed's story and Judith's story together. And, And I will say, going back to Judith, I have There are amazing researchers in the JFK community, very smart, I would say brilliant men and women who have done unbelievable research, but with that comes egos. And so if, if I write 10 books on something and Judith comes along and says, oh, I knew Oswald in New Orleans and something in her story contradicts something in the 10 books of research, you know, that I've done on, in the research I've done, well, I immediately become, I, I take the defensive on that. Right. I'm like, well, she's, she's nonsense, blah, 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 because you're protecting yourself. I feel it's unfortunate, but I have to say we are our production company. We do documentaries in uh, with UFO phenomena and the UFOs, national security state, the same kind of thing with the cover up and all that. And it's the same thing in the UFO community. You have brilliant men and women, PhDs, all types doing this incredible research, but they fight with each other all the time. There's no room for, well, maybe I'm a little off on that. Maybe I'm a little wrong. Maybe I don't know everything, right? And I think Judith was a, tr- a threat to a lot of, like you said, the grand poobahs at the top who are terrified of her more than anything. But I think with Judith, all you have to do is realize she has profited nothing from this. I mean, she'll be the first to admit she's rubbing two nickels together. So she has, her life has been turned upside down a million ways to Sunday because of this. And she's the sweetest woman in the world. She also, for people that doubt how smart she is, go look at articles, do your research. I, I, I live in Orlando and Sarasota is about an hour from here, but she went to high school in Sarasota. There's a whole bunch of newspaper articles. She's winning all these national awards as a student doing cancer research in, in junior and senior year. This woman's brilliant, brilliant. And that's why she got the internship in New Orleans. You know, I wrote the book to interview people and I wanted to share those interviews with others and that perhaps people can gain some insight. But I have found myself protecting Judith a lot and not only in the interviews, the podcasts I'm doing. And as I and and I feel I have to because I feel I feel strongly about this. There's no there's nothing that she's saying that doesn't make sense at all. Right, right. Well, her personal story, I mean, I, you know, I find that, you know, in some of her research, sometimes she makes mistakes, but all, all researchers make mistakes. Now, was this your first time uh, at a, a JFK conference this year? Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, the book is my first contribution to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I've uh, been known to uh, say about the uh, conferences that basically you have uh, kooks, spooks, and egos, okay, which, which really defines a lot of, 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 of what happens there, you know? And so, but what was your um, uh, impression of, of this last conference? What, what did, did you learn anything? What happened? Tell, tell the folks what happened, if you, if you may. Sure. Personally, I had a great time because it was exciting for me. I had my book. Uh, half the people in the book were there, including you, right? So it was great, right? I was giving everyone their free copies. I was signing and, and it was fun for me. Uh, and then I, uh, everyone was really nice to me and the feedback 
people who started reading the book was really good and really positive. So, and I was the I wanted the especially the people in the book to be happy uh, because there was you know most of those interviews were eighteen thousand, twenty thousand words that I had to edit down to five. So I wanted to make sure they were happy with the final product. I mean, it was just something you have to do editorially, as you know. So. Um, that was great. Uh, I went to Dealey Plaza for the first time, which was Isn't that amazing. How small beyond beyond belief uh, being there, emotional, very telling. Uh, and then I did the tour, three hour tour, uh, with some very knowledgeable men, as you know, uh, on, on Sunday. So that was like a, a special gift, a three hour tour with, the, you know, one of the guys was a sniper in the army. I mean, he was, he was talking about, I mean, it made total sense. So that was amazing. I will say this and David Denton did an incredible job. One of the things my wife had come for a couple of days and she was, she was excited to listen to some people, especially Judith. And I, and what happens is, so she was listening to Larry Vera, who's an amazing researcher, amazing researcher. He really gets into the nitty gritty of stuff, but it's just that it's nitty gritty. It's not one-on-one stuff. So my wife had no, no context whatsoever. She was like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Cause he was talking about Mexico, Mexico city. And there's a lot of minutia there, but if you don't know the basics and you don't know some of the other stuff, you have no idea what that is. And, and then when Judith because what Judith does is she'll take something, she'll take a point, something that she hears, and then she'll defend what the truth of that should be. So she went up there on Mexico City and my wife's like, I can't, I just, I'm lost. I'm like, it's a shame because Judith was probably supposed to talk about Oswald, New Orleans, and it was Mexico City again. So I think what happens and, 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 but I took note of that because David Denton had brought some of his students along, as you know, which I thought was incredible and that needs to happen a lot more but what i learned was when i went to dealey plaza i learned a lot and the speakers were great but i don't i don't know if i learned anything particularly new and i feel like if you were a newbie first time there maybe wanting to learn about about the assassination and about whatever certain aspects but really were new to it I don't know if it offered you all that much. And and this is something we've talked about. And this is something that David and Mal, and we're just like, you know, we should do a Kennedy assassination 101, you know, just yeah. to get people up to speed. Even if it's a handout, it could be a handout in the little bag they give out. Like just, okay, who's who? All right, right. Oswald, you know, blah, blah, blah. I personally think that you have to appeal to the people not necessarily people that are there every year, but the new people, the younger people, or even older people that haven't done this before. You know, you got to get new interest in this. I had a half hour presentation. I didn't have a lot of time, but I wanted to make a note of that. I wanted to really stress that because without those generation Z's, 20 year olds, this is my son's 2021, 20, without them, this goes away. It goes away forever and no one cares anymore. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I used to uh, well, help put some of these things on and be an MC and different things. And I would tell people, well, you know, you're going to hear somebody say one thing and then you might hear somebody say the complete opposite on some of the uh, different minutiae of it. I mean, because, you know, if, if you start looking at the mechanics, OK, the, the shooters from everything that I've heard from people is that there was a lot of different shooters there and uh, you can really get lost in, in a lot of weeds. And there's some people that have done some amazing, amazing work and, and shown uh, different things on that. 
myself, I've, I've tend to look at the, the motivation behind it. And, and, you know, and then I talk about, you know, secret societies, because that's one thing that my dad pointed me to, and it all makes sense. And, and when I've looked at it, to, you know, that the secret societies are involved and it's kind of like publishing. I mean, when I when I first started out publishing, I mean, I was very, I don't know, I guess maybe the word is arrogant or something like that. But I, I didn't want to publish anybody that I didn't, you know, oh, agree with them 100%, you know. But then after a while, I said, no, wait a minute. That's not really the publisher's role is to make everybody agree with him. It's, it's, to, it's to get the information out there and so that we can, you know, look at it and, and, and discuss it and you know, like you said, every not everybody's uh, completely right all the time. So, yeah, Daily Plaza. That I mean, I remember the first time I went there. I said, "Wow," because I was expecting, you know, a much bigger space. To to me, it it, it seems to be a ritual kill zone, and you you've got this trident, and and you know it's bloody Elm Street, and it, it, because when you look at like Vince Palmara's work, you know where he shows that, you know, before Dallas and, and after Dallas, I mean, all the windows were covered by people. There was people up there with, with, with rifles and anything and, and all that. But it didn't happen there in Dallas, you know, because, you know, people say, well, it was a CIA operation. It was a military operation. And to me, like I say, I look at the secret societal level and them being able to, to reach down to these different organizations and, and to use them in, in this act, how old were you, Jack, when, when the, the Kennedy assassination happened? I was uh, minus two. I was born in 65. <laughs> okay. So, 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 so basically, you grew up uh, with this as a historical action. And, and, the, and the direct aftermath. Right? right. So, like, I remember, you know, I remember the 60s. I remember... Mm -hmm. I, I tell my mom, I, I remember Vietnam veterans, they used to have the jackets, right? So they had their military, the jackets on, and then they had long hair because they'd been back. They were lost. I remember this. I grew up in Brooklyn and I used to see these things. And I, and I, and then I remember, you know, watching certain things on TV, you know, where it was like, okay, the unrest. And, and then as I got older, you know, and then I started to understand Nixon and Watergate, it was all my, my birth in 65, I was part of that generation was actually generation X that mm -hmm. was born in the aftermath of the Kennedy assassination. And so a lot of the things we grew up seeing and understanding, that's why we don't trust institutions. Whereas my, our parents in who were baby boomers, oh, they trust maybe not so much anymore, but they tend to trust institutions because that's what the, the whether it's the church government, whatever it is, uh, they trust it. They were mistaken to trust it. And for a lot of people, again, it goes back to cognitive dissonance, right? Well, I, you know, that's our government, you know? Right. Well, it was funny that the first time I really heard cognitive dissonance, that term was I was doing an interview with this lady who her, her father and her grandfather were members of, of Skull and Bones. And she was mostly talking about her dad. He was both hard left and hard right at the same time. She, she was just talking about how, you know, these people were just very, very confused. And, and when I looked at Skull and Bones, I mean, I got a lot of flack early on. I had people that wanted me to just call them all devil worshipers and call them evil people. But when I looked at it, I saw, well, 
they weren't really just recruiting quote unquote evil people, they were recruiting useful people. And again, it goes back to how I talk about conspiracy. When, when, you, when you foment a conspiracy, you really, you keep that very tight to get people to, to, to join and you lie to them. You, you give them another reason. You don't really tell them the, the initial reason why you want to do it. You go out and manipulate people into, you know, a situation where maybe they're caught in, in a corner and, you know, they have to support what you did because if they don't, you know, they, it could be laid off on them or, or, or different things like that. Now, uh, Bruce has done a book, uh, God, JFK, 9-11 and stuff. And, and he really goes a lot into, you know, uh, what you talk about, obey and different things. Bruce, do you have some uh, thoughts and some questions for Jack? Yeah, I do. Jack, what's the most common praise you're hearing about your new book, Killing Kennedy? Fortunately, uh, compelling new insight, humanizing the assassination, exploring why it still matters, keeping the story alive, that a, a unique read on the subject, which is all really good because that's what I wanted to accomplish. So again, I am so thankful. And that's all because of the people I interviewed. I mean, I was able to get the right people. Hmm. What's a typical, if not the most common, unique insight, specifically, if you can? Almost everyone, 23 of the 24 people in the book were very adamant about the fact that Oswald was a patsy and they can back it up. They backed it up with a lot of research and a lot of evidence. Not only that, but that he never touched a gun that day and that he was a, a CIA uh, asset operative, if you will, low level. And he was he was told to go to Dallas after he was in New Orleans doing all what he was doing there which was very confusing on purpose. And then he's in Dallas and he's meeting with the Cuban exiles and he's meeting with these other people. And he thought a lot of people believe based on, again, research, some new documents that have come out. And of course, people like Judith who were there with him and especially in new Orleans, but that he thought he was in an, on an abort team. He thought, well, I got to stop this. And then when you look at what happened in Chicago, where a guy named Lee gave them the information and an informant named Lee said, there's going to be an assassination attempt. And then in Dallas, he goes to FBI agent Hosty and gives him a note at the FBI office saying there's going to be an assassination attempt. Well, I say that's pretty clear that Oswald was trying to stop this. And what he told Judith, believe Judith or not, but what he told her on a phone call, not 37 hours before the assassination was that he he had to stay at that point. He knew it was happening and that he couldn't leave because they would kill his family. I mean, he was there. He was stuck doing whatever he was supposed to do in that in that situation. But he said if he stayed, there would be one less gun pointed at Oswald. At Kennedy. Yeah. Yeah. There would be one less gun pointed at Kennedy. Oswald right. said that. And it was a very emotional call. She was hysterical because she knew she might not never see him again. And then she was scared for her life mm -hmm. because then David Ferry is calls her <laughs> after Oswald is shot yeah. and says, you need to be a vanilla girl. You need to just live your life, get married, have <clears throat> kids, be with, you know, be with the husband, your husband, have kids, just be quiet, be vanilla because they will kill all of us. And of course, David Ferry died a few years later. Uh, they killed him. 
and yeah. he died. So, uh, so yeah, so that was, you know, I think what I learned about Oswald as a human being was the most amazing thing for me. Well, you know, uh, me and Lee by Judith is one of trying these books, her journey episode on this podcast, I think is in the, in the number fifties, people can find it. You said you really learned a lot visiting Dealey Plaza. What are the main things you learned there? I learned that it was nothing more than a kill zone. And it, it was quite frankly, a Turkey shoot. When you realize how everything is set up in that plaza buildings, everything. Yeah. And I was up on the sixth floor depository because I went to the museum with my wife the day before. And we went up to the sixth floor. And of course that window is a pexiglass. So you can't get in, you can't get to that window, but you can get to the window right next to it. And you look down, it's like, well, that's kind of a tricky shot. And then when I, I went behind the grassy knoll, I went to the picket fence. That's when I literally started crying because I realized how easy a shot it was. And my wife said, you okay? I'm like, I just spent three years researching this and I'm here and I, I can't believe it. It's uh, I, I was there for the first time in 2004 and thought, what an ignominious place. This is just an off ramp. That's what it seemed to me. It's just a little bathtub, little sunken area, which is like we are all describing all very, very enclosed. And um, it's sobering. And um, now that you've written uh, this kind of stuff, which is a departure from J3 Films and your other kind of stuff, what, what are you percolating on or developing these days? We just shot footage for a sizzle reel uh, based on Peter Janney's book, who, who, and he's in my book. So I interviewed him, and his book is uh, Mary's Mosaic not to be confused with Dr. Mary's monkey, uh, just different Mary, uh, Mary Pinchot Meyer. And that story is unbelievable. So uh, we actually shot some footage in DC and we're putting together a sizzle reel and we're very confident we can get it. We're going to do a documentary on that. Now, as far as another book, I have to promote this one. It's a it, it's literally more work than the actual writing of the book. I mean, promoting a book is harder than writing it in my, in my opinion. <laughs> so uh, I you know, do this and then, but also because I've, at, I was at the conference and met a lot of people, there could be a volume two in this because it, it's, it's going over well so far. And I, now there are other people. I feel like I might be able to get enough people to write a second one in this vein, but only if it works, only if it sells well enough for Skyhorse to say, hey, <laughs> you know, do another one, you know, so that's why I'm promoting this as much as I can. But so there could be something there, but I want to stay in the JFK community. I want to help in any way I can. And if I'm that liaison as a Gen Xer between the baby boomers and the Gen Zers, well, then that would be a role I'd love to play because I'd love to get younger people at these conferences and then literally maybe put some presentations together that appeal to them. Thank you. The uh, Miami and the Chicago thing were uh, in, in intelligence parlance, they're uh, shakedown cruises, okay? Because you've got a lot of people running around in this milieu, okay? And you want to find out who's talking to who, okay? Because then you can either... Um, you know, separate them and, and, and feed them a line or, or, or different things. But you, you've got to find out um, the, the different dynamics that's uh, going on. And then, you know, uh, Mary Pichel Meyer, her, uh, her uh, father, grandfather were, were skull and bones. 
one of them was running a uh, department of forestry. And it, it's really funny because if you look at early CIA, a lot of their secret money was going through the uh, forestry uh, department there too. Uh, there's a lot of things that are, that are all related. Now, did Cyril Weck wrote your forward? Did, did you get to meet him? I didn't because he was at the other conference and I went to the other conference and of course, David Mantic's in my book and mm -hmm. I did, he was still there, but Cyril had just left. Oh, well, uh, Cyril is a, just a <laughs> wonderful yeah. gentleman. Just a, he, he was so gracious to write that. I didn't think I had a chance to get him to write this. And I just sent him a nice email, introduced mm -hmm. myself. He said, send me the transcript. I'm like, oh, okay. So I sent him what I had. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. And I'm like, what? I, I, it was a long shot, but I was like, okay. <laughs> wow. I remember telling Skyhorse, like, really? You got Cyril Weck? I mean, everyone's been like, you got Cyril Weck to write your phone. I'm like, yeah, that was a huge get. That was a, that was a big deal. You know, Chris, I wanted to mention something because you mentioned Skull and Bones and you talk about that in your chapter. What I thought was important about that specifically is that it ties into if nothing else, and it is more than that, then with the secret societies, they go back the Knights. I mean, there's, it goes back thousands of years with those societies, but it's elitism is what it is. It's an elitism. It's an attitude, right? So that's, and the CIA was recruiting from Yale and Harvard, right? So it's elites and, and almost like you have to have this elite attitude and the elite attitude is we were born to, to rule. Uh, we were born to rule over the masses. We are better equipped, smarter, better in every way to rule over the masses and that that's who we are. And that literally is an attitude and that's what elitism is. So when I look at skull and bones at the very least, it's an elitist society. Right. Right. Well, that was one thing. See, cause my, my dad was, you know, he was raised in Montana and Oregon. And, and basically got involved in intelligence, you know, through the war, extraordinary things that happened, happened in war. And so he had a, he had a different perspective in, in the CIA because he was right there at the beginning of that, too. I really appreciate you coming on and, and, and giving your uh, thoughts about this. And, you know, let, let's do this uh, again some more because I, I enjoy your perspective on it all. Uh, Bruce, any, any last words, any last questions? You know, in a nutshell, the impact of Kennedy's assassination on the tra trajectory of uh, America's entire history, please. Obviously, everything changed when he was killed. But the idea of American exceptionalism from World War Two through 1963, where and it was an actual thing, American exceptionalism. You can look it up, right? It was the idea that we were great. We were a great country. We could do anything. We could produce anything. We can make, we were the, the beacon of democracy. From the minute Kennedy died, American exceptionalism began to erode. Right. And that's, that's what I would say. Right, right. Well, you know, uh, you know, I do this, you know, my, I've always told people, you know, my main agenda is, you know, our children's future. And, and that's true because, and, and we need to face up to this because, uh, you know, I've always looked at it too, you know, if they can stuff it down our throat that Lee Harvey Oswald killed Kennedy and we regurgitate it, we aren't really in control anymore, are we? We're just, uh, 
being a patsy, just like 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 he was, you know. Yes. So it's very important, you know, that, you know, because a lot of people say, well, who cares who killed Kennedy? You know, it doesn't 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 matter, you know, and but I think it does matter. We do need to know our history. We, we need to know what's happened so that we can go forward in a much better way. Jack, Chris, you've heard this before. Kennedy's assassination, I consider the climax at the end of Act Two, if America is a classic story in the three-act structure. It's akin to Dorothy dousing the witch with water at the end of Act Two in The Wizard of Oz. In that scenario, the hero kind of conquers. In America's story, the folks in the shadows, as Chris kind of calls them, they took the stage and they ran it into the ground. And I'm rather convinced that with 9-11 and the Patriot Act and the Department of Homeland Security, that's the end of the story of America. That's where America doesn't exist anymore because we no longer live under the rights. We don't live under the Constitution. We give it lip service. That's the impact of Kennedy's assassination. America needs to be recreated by we who can galvanize to flush the corruption out of our institutions because our institutions are great. They're strong. They're just they're just polluted with corruption. So that's how effing urgent Kennedy's the truth about Kennedy is in my humble. Yeah, we can't heal in, as a nation until the truth comes out about that. And that's also Dealey Plaza is like a dark stain to me. Right. It was this it was like you said, it's very sobering. There's a darkness associated with it. And, and listen, aesthetically, it's very pretty, the buildings, but it's there's darkness and it, it's literally a dark stain. And it is the moment it could be the moment of America's ultimate downfall. So that's why it's still important to people. Oh, who cares? Well, no, you better care. You better care. Otherwise, you're not going to live in a democracy anymore. Right. And you're passing on stories that you heard from elders, even though you grew up on, in the shadow of it. And that alone can, you know, cohere a society is if we are passing down the legends and the myths and debating them about who we are. And now it's so watered down. Chris recently says frequently, we've been very ill served by our media and by our education. So, yeah, I think we have to have Jack back. Chris, okay. what do you think? <laughs> Onwards. <laughs> awesome.